is Bloomberg Surveillance. The UK needs its own sovereignty. It doesn't need rules set out for it by the European community. The Fed's decisions to raise rates are not being driven by inflation. So what is driving it? There is still only one global oil market, and the price goes up because of outages in Nigeria. And whether we're importing oil from Nigeria or not, we're going to be reflected here. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keene. The Draghi press conference, we'll see that in 30 minutes. Low expectations. The official surveillance radar is up for what Mr. Draghi may say not only in the first five, ten minutes of the press conference, usually obligatory, a yawn, but then it always seems to get interesting. The euro, 111.87, I'm going to call it weaker euro, over the last few days. Worldwide, across the nation, in New York, Bloomberg Surveillance, brought by Cohn Resnick. Look ahead. Gain insight. Imagine more. Get forward-thinking advice that can help turn business possibilities into business opportunities. Find out more at Cohn Resnick.com. This is going to be interesting. Michael McKee, on the Bloomberg, there is T-A-Y-L Go, the Taylor Rule Go, and you can plug in and chug the Newtonian mechanics of the algebraic function, which approximates John B. Taylor's great work out at Stanford. But there's other ways to do monetary policy, aren't there? Yeah, approximates. Of course, John always said it wasn't a way to forecast where rates should be, just a way to double-check rate where rates should have been in, in the past. But the question is, can you come up with rules? Can you come up with uh, some sort of reliable uh, way of setting rates uh, based on data that takes human emotion sort of out of it? Um, and that's been a, a focus of the work of Michael Kearns. He's a professor and a national center chair at the University of Pennsylvania down in Philadelphia, where, of course, Janet Yellen, um, the real Janet Yellen, not the computerized version, is speaking on Monday in that highly anticipated speech. Uh, our Christopher Condon uh, talked with you, uh, Professor, not long ago about the possibility of using artificial intelligence to improve economic forecasting, and I guess that's the key, uh, to to improve forecasting, and then you can use a rule uh, based on the forecast to figure out where your rate should be. Yeah, that's right. Chris and I had a long conversation about the possible application of machine learning to sort of macroeconomic forecasting in general and kind of policy setting more specifically. And, um, you know, what I told Chris was that um, I'm sort of a, a machine learning advocate in the sense that I think that such a thing is possible in principle, but probably pretty far from being practical at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the Fed and and other uh, commercial enterprises don't have models, but they find that there are so many millions of influences that it's uh, almost impossible to fine-tune them enough. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think that, you know, with all of the kind of media frenzy about machine learning these days, we forget that um, many people in many fields have been doing what has now been rebranded machine learning for a very long time. I think in terms of kind of macroeconomic policy prediction, the thing that's particularly difficult at this point for machines is just incorporating knowledge about, you know, how markets work, how policy interacts with markets, how international events shape you know, the future. Um, and it's just very difficult to get clean data that, you know, kind of um, relates all of those working parts 
over a long enough history that you would have seen cycles, you would have seen market crashes, you would have had a lot of oh. examples of how economies changed in responses to policy decisions. That goes to the heart of the matter, and of course this goes to artificial intelligence and the rest. Where, what have we accomplished in the last 30 years if Governor Cherulo, who was just on with us, Chair Yellen, Mario Draghi, who's going to speak in 25 minutes, if people like that are working with basic algebra, Newtonian mechanics, and maybe something as fungible as dynamic, stochastic, general equilibrium theory, how can AI help them? I mean, it's very, to me, it's, your world is very nonlinear. It's, it's got huge degrees of freedom issues. How can AI assist economists to do a better job? Well, I mean, I think AI can help and, and machine learning more specifically can help in any domain in which you have massive amounts of historical data, including very high dimensional data. Um, that's sort of relatively clean and and sort of drawn under, you know, kind of similar conditions over a long period of time. The more sort of, you know, heterogeneous your data is, the more yeah. diverse it is, the harder it is to kind of apply machine right. learning. And this is why you see machine learning especially succeeding in either cases where there's a massive amount of clean data as in areas like speech recognition or right. image processing. Exactly. Yeah. Or in sort of very closed environments like game playing, like chess or Go, which as difficult as those problems are, you know, you're in a closed world, right? You know, the, the rules are very Yeah, well, there's, I, I get this beautifully explained. There's 64 squares in chess. I get it. Can you take your world and help Janet Yellen with the data that goes back to Lawrence Klein at Penn in 1947 or whatever. I mean, was that data then clean or is that data now clean? I think in the case, I mean, and, and mind you, I'm not an economist per se, you know, and even less. We take that as an advantage, sir. (laughs) I appreciate that. But um, I, I think my short answer to that is no. And it's not so much whether the data is clean or not. It's just sort of the length of history. I mean, to, to give an analogy, right. Um, you know, if you go back 30 years before sort of the automation of Wall Street more generally, there were a lot of, you know, trading problems that at that time really required human expertise, intuition, knowledge of how markets work, how they might react to certain exogenous events, and so on and so forth. And now a lot of that stuff's been automated, right? I mean, sort of the brokerage business has become a very difficult business, um, or at least, you know, sort of the human sort of specialist brokerage business has become very difficult as algorithmic trading has risen. And, and the real reason algorithmic trading has taken over is partly the automation, but the automation has, you know, generated years and years of very clean data um, that makes machine learning a much more practical, you know, sort of practical approach. And by the way, you, you tend to see the, the, you know, the greatest uses of machine learning in trading or economic settings where the most data is generated. So high frequency trading, for instance, right? Just because of the speed at which things, things are happening, right. you know, in, in the same minute, um, I get way more data about high frequency trading than I do about macroeconomic well, policy predictions. So can your model tell me if there's going to be a June or July rate increase? Wait, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell you if I knew. <laughs> Good. No one else can either. So get in line. Mike, one more question, please. Well, uh, I, I, I'm just curious because um, 
Bill Dudley and others at the Fed have noted that uh, one failure of their models is that doesn't take financial markets into account. Financial markets, uh, much of it is high-frequency trading, but much of it is also market psychology. How does machine learning account for psychological factors? Yeah, so that's a great question. And um, one of you mentioned equilibrium a little while ago. And, you know, the term equilibrium kind of refers to taking the strategic considerations of the parties into account, you know, or, or, you know, kind of counterfactuals, if you like, sort of not just how did the data look historically, but how might it have looked different if we had done something differently or something different had happened. And one thing I like to, you know, one way I like to put it when I talk to people about machine learning in finance or economics versus in other domains, which is, you know, as hard as the problem of, let's say, recognizing whether there's a cat in a video on YouTube or not might be, and, you know, you might think I'm joking, but actually that's not an easy problem. You know, as hard as that problem might be, it's one, one advantage you have in applying machine learning to such a problem is that you can be pretty sure that, you know, the world is not, you know, that your very efforts to decide whether there's a cat in the video or not is not, you know, <clears throat> changing the nature right. of cats, uh, um, you know, themselves, right? Whereas this is not true in trading. You can be quite sure that, you know, your very efforts to predict something in financial markets and then act on that prediction right. will, in fact, <clears throat> change the markets in a way that makes what you're doing less effective, Right. So it's that kind of adaptive dynamic, the market reacting to what you're doing because of the strategic considerations right. of the other parties involved. And there there are branches of machine learning that are trying to seriously take those um, kind of strategic considerations and counterfactuals into account. But it's a much, much more difficult problem. And I think that, <clears throat> you know, we're very, very far from kind of understanding okay. how to deal with such problems at this that you guys are talking about. Michael Kearns, thank you so much at the University of Pennsylvania and machine learning and a touch there on AI as well. Our machine learning, I mean, we are robots, Mike, is we're uh, 20 minutes away from the Draghi uh, press conference. I would note, Mike, not much movement in the market. I guess that's not a surprise. Mike, I would note two days in a row, strong, strong yen, 108.92 on the yen as well. Indeed, but but no real reaction to to Rulo or to the ECB, and I guess uh, Jim Vogel put it well. It, it's yeah. all down to Janet Yellen on Monday. Futures in negative four, Dow futures at negative 26, a yield 1.83%. Time now to check in with Michael Barr and get caught up on world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Hillary Clinton is set to unleash a foreign policy attack on Donald Trump. The former Secretary of State will use a speech in San Diego today to cast a Republican as unqualified and dangerous. Trump accused Clinton of lying about his foreign policy plans at a rally in Sacramento, California last night. Classes will resume next week at UCLA. Yesterday, a professor was shot and killed before police say the gunman took his own life. The head of the Global Airline Industry Association says terrorist attacks will not stop surging travel demand. International Air Transport Association CEO Tony Tyler told Bloomberg people don't get frightened off by these thugs. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike Tom. And Michael Barr, thanks so much. T-Live, if you've got a Bloomberg terminal in your car, T-L-I-V. Great updates on the Draghi Press Conference and on OPEC in Vienna. Futures at negative four. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.
The news update brought to you by your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer. The star you've been wishing for is waiting at the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event. Head to your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer for more details. Hurry before this star flies by.